0: This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job find all our episodes you can go to our website that's www.nobelbiz.com hit subscribe on our youtube channel or follow us on apple Podcasts and spotify for future episodes all right well hello everyone and welcome to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. Today, we're joined with the true thought leader and trendsetter in the world of customer experience. Uh, You might know him as the author of such books as The DNA of Customer Experience, The Intuitive Customer, and Happy Employees Make Happy Customers, just to name a few. Now, with over 43 years of experience, he's been at the forefront of countless customer experience shifts within the business world. On his podcast, Intuitive Customer, Its confident, reassuring voice will tell everyone is responsible for customer experience. However, we can't think of anyone more responsible for customer experience than him. This year, actually, is the third year in a row that his company has been named Leading Consultancy by Financial Times. So, without further ado, let's welcome the founder and CEO of Beyond Philosophy, Colin Shaw. Colin, thanks so much for joining. We're thrilled to have you on the show.
1: No,
2: thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it, Christian. I'm just a bit worried with the 43 years. That it makes me sound
0: very old. No, it just means that you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) You've survived to tell the story. So with that said, and, you know, the stories that we love to tell here, and we always want to start off with how you got into the industry. I mean, one of those things that's really important for everybody is we always get to see where everyone's, you know, at today and where they're doing things, great works, but how did you get there? Is there a way that you could just get our audience to know a little bit about that journey of what did early jobs look like for you and how did you get to where you are today?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I got here because my boss said to me one day, that as the CEO, I, I used to work at um, British Telecom. So large um, telecom company in the UK, yeah. Um, and my boss said to me one day, he said, "Colin, I would like you to improve the customer experience, but do it at least cost," uh, which is <laughs> always the challenge they throw in. Oh, yeah. uh, and obviously, I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, this was literally twenty-three years ago, something like that. Um, and been working on that ever since. Prior to that, I won't want to bore everybody but I've been in sales, I've been in marketing, I've been in customer service. And in hindsight, that actually gave me a good background to start to think of customer experience because a customer's experience sort of spans across all of those areas. Ended up running a big project to improve the customer experience at BT, and then decided that this was back in the year 2001 decided that customer experience was going to be a big thing so i had a very interesting conversation with my wife about leaving the the high levels of corporate life and setting up on my my own and uh, the rest is history as they say
0: <laughs> well that had to have been an interesting pivoting moment for you to go from uh, a career in the corporate world into starting your own business was yeah. this the first business you had ever started
2: it is yeah yeah it's um i don't know if any of your listeners have read it, but there was a really good book I read at the time called um, Who Mo- Who Moved My Cheese? You must have heard of it, Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it asked some really good question in that book, which um, it was one of the key reasons it made me change, was it said, what would you do if you weren't scared? Uh, so, you know, what decision would you make? Would you stay? Uh, and my decision was, would I, so I stay in corporate life because that's safe and that's, you know, I get a regular paycheck and or do I start up on my own? And what I would do if I wasn't scared was starting up on my own. Doesn't mean to say that I wasn't scared though, because I was.
0: <laughs> well, fear can do a lot of things or keep you from doing a lot of things. And it's great that that fear translated into this great journey for you. So when you look back at your career from the early days to now, and even through your time at BT, when you sit back and say, okay, is there something that you learned back then outside of, you know, what? you were fearful for or of that has just remained true with you and you've kept with you as something that's guided you throughout all these years
2: I I think there's a number of things that you learn over the period of time I'm I'm still learning every every day but there's a sort of a few key principles one from a one from a sort of a a, a, just a a leadership perspective is um, there's a phrase we use a lot in beyond philosophy which is uh none of us are as clever as all of us. So, um, you know, this is not about me. If you get a group of people, even, you know, a group of clients in a a room, in a workshop, um, and you're using that collective brain power, then that's more important than any one individual. And from a customer experience perspective, the thing that I felt was going to be really important was just recognising that customers had emotions and had feelings, mm-hmm. and you know, emotions are not things that I would often talk about in business. Become more acceptable now, but you know, 20 years ago when I wrote my first book, um, people didn't really talk about you know which emotions are we trying to evoke in our uh, in our customers, uh, and I think that was something that I felt that was really important that was missing basically.
0: That's a big one, because I think a lot of times, depending on the emotion you have, people look at it as a weakness or something that can keep yeah. them from being able to achieve something yeah. and yeah. tapping into those things are critical. So to kind of shift into one of the really neat things that you've been able to earn is you've been recognized as one of the top 150 LinkedIn influencers. First of all, could you let us know what that even means? And second of all, Um, You know, was there something that you gained out of that, which was just unexpected?
2: Um, Yeah. um, So I think the the, what have I gained from it is I live by one of the phrases I live my life by quotes. So one of the one of the quotes I like is the Oscar Wilde quote, uh, which is there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, and that sort of has always driven me to go. Actually, you got to do these things. Um, on the LinkedIn, uh, on the LinkedIn side of things, uh, again, when you first start in these areas, it's very easy, and lots of people turn around and say, <clears throat> "I'm an expert on this subject. I'm an expert. I'm. I've written a best-selling book. I've done this. I've done that." And and I've always thought that that's fine. But you know what? It doesn't mean a lot until somebody else tells you you're an expert. So what what does it mean? So what does the influence a bit for me? For me, it's a recognition by somebody else that what I'm saying makes some sense. Yeah, which um, uh, I, I hope it does. Uh, and, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's easy to turn around and say you think you are an expert, but when somebody else bestows it upon you. The interesting story behind all of that was I got an email from uh, LinkedIn when they were setting up their influencer program. This was, I don't know, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a spoof. I, I nearly didn't reply. You know, they, they were saying we've recognised your work and we wanted you to do this, and I, and I went, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> on your bike, yeah, you don't want me. There are a lot more clever, more clever people than me, um, but and I ended up going, yeah, okay, I'm interested, and then it's sort of gone on from there. But clearly, what it gives you is just a platform to to help uh, move the subject on and to, to to get out your thoughts on on what things are, and that
0: that ties back into Oscar Wilde. That's amazing. And that's actually a great story around the idea that sometimes we just don't believe things are true because all the spoofing and all the things that come about. But the other part of it is, is uh, the fact that even as yourself, uh, seeing yourself as a student, always learning, always growing, you go, I know there's a lot of other people that are a lot better at this than me. And it's still that humility and being able to still add a lot of value. So that's great. And because of that, you know, you're doing a lot of public appearances. You do a lot of consulting work. Uh, there has to be, obviously, without revealing any compromising specifics, is there any really wild or uh, amazing gigs that you've done and what made them that way for you? Uh,
2: I, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it depends what you mean by sort of um, amazing gigs, really. Anything memorable
0: for you? that? Yeah, was no, crazy? absolutely. <laughs>
2: I, I was just thinking of a, of a couple of ones. That, one was when we first started off down this route and I said to you, I had this interesting conversation with my wife. Um, about uh, whether I should leave uh, corporate life. Uh, I got an invitation to go in the very early days to go and speak at a conference in Bermuda. And it was on my wife's birthday. Uh, Uh And I had to go and say to her, by the way, um, I can't, I'm not going to be around on your birthday. And she wasn't very happy, but I said, but the good news is that we're both going to Bermuda. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't have done that if I was at, um, if I would carried on in corporate life. So, but some of the some of the, the sort of more business related things I think has been around. Just I, I really get a kick out of seeing organisations get this stuff. Again, n- another one springs to my mind. We were talking with a water utility um, about improving their customer experience. Mm-hmm. and i had been talking to this um a vp of customer service who had come from an engineering background uh and talking to them about the whole concept of customer experience and the reality is is he didn't really get it you know you can just tell when people's lights come on and yeah they didn't have that aha it. moment yeah. but that's it. that real you know I, I, yeah i understand where you're coming from now i got a phone call on a saturday morning uh, from uh, from this guy and he said Colin he said he said I've just been into a petrol station uh, and he said everything you just as told we just suddenly hit home because this happened in this experience and it, it I get it now I get it you know and and from them he was the most passionate person that you could you could recognize and and I and I think it's that I really enjoy that when those and find it amazing when you when you make those connections and you suddenly see all those cogs line up and people go bloody hell yeah I understand what you're saying now and that that I think is really powerful uh, and then trying to sort of spread that through an organization uh, and seeing the lights come on in um, in uh, in different
0: uh, different organizations well, that's actually a great segue to what I wanted to talk next, which is you know our our podcast really focuses on the contact center space, right? Really yep. that part of the industry, and with that, customer experience is very important. And when you look at that, and you said that aha moment, it clicked, right? and you noticed that not only the buy-in was there, but the energy and the effort and being able to get things moving was so much better and easier than before, and the outcomes you were able to reach uh, were that much faster and that much better. But with that said inside of the contact center context, right? How do you positively impact that to have those aha moments so that you get that buy-in? Because I could imagine without the buy-in, it becomes very difficult to improve that experience. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, let's put this in context. When I was at British Telecom, I used to run the contact centers with three and a half thousand agents globally. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always had an affinity to contact centers. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's where where you, and again, that was sort of my learning ground for a lot of this stuff. That's where you learn that you've got to get people to individually understand what this means. So one of the problems with the whole concept of a custom experience is everybody thinks they understand it and everybody thinks that they know what to do and how to do it because, you know, the classic quote is, I'm a customer, I know how to, you know, I buy things, I know what I feel like. But the reality is, is that you've got to get under the skin and um, you've got to get, you've got to start to understand human behavior, which is the area that we've, we've sort of gone on to look at uh, now, which is understanding true human behavior and why people, why people do things okay mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we talk about a lot on the the intuitive customer podcast um but to answer your question um the the key is you've got to get people in the contact center to understand how they are feeling will affect how the customer feels so Absolutely. the example i always give is um When I walk home at night and I walk in my front door and I shout hello to Lorraine, my wife, within a one word response, I can tell you how Lorraine is feeling. I can tell you if she's feeling happy. I can tell you if she's feeling sad. I can tell you what I should not do to make her feel worse. And I can tell you the things that I should do to make her feel better, okay? How does this apply in the contact center? Well, actually, what people should be doing is they should be thinking. They sh- you should be employing people who are good at understanding and identifying how the customer is feeling, which is more of a challenge in the contact center because obviously you can't look at body language and facial expression, uh etc. Which is why I think actually I'm an I, you know I'm a- an advocate of using video and stuff like that as well in the contact center. So you know what should the agent be doing they should be trying to identify how the customer's feeling and then they should be trying to convert them into feeling an emotion that the organization wants them to feel and again to get back to answer your question the key is you've got to get people to understand why that's important and what i've learned over the years is by you know my example of walking in and and talking to Lorraine and finding out she's feeling everyone does that with their partner, yeah. Uh, you just got to relate it to something that people understand, and then say, okay, so now let's look at that. What's actually happening there? you know how did you know from that one word response how that person was feeling what was it you know was it the word they used was it the tone was it the cadence was it you know what what was it that made you pick up that that's how that person's feeling and what can you now do to 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 change them okay. um, so you know i think all of those things tie together
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. And it's really important that you note some of those items because some of those things that you get to know about your partner, um, there's going to be those unique things about them that you just learn and you know. But I think the more interesting part when you step back is that that part was about them, not about you. You didn't walk in talking at them. Or with her or anybody else, whether it's a customer or uh, you're with your partners, you're trying to talk with them and with them means both ways. So when you went in, you already went in listening to what they're saying and how they're saying it, so that when you react, it's not about just you, it's also about them. And I think that buy in lets people to make that first decision to go, I have to also participate in this part of it because I influence that, right? Yes. The only
2: bit I was going to add is just a sort of an anecdote again from um, my time in corporate life because. When we started to think about this stuff, one of the things that we did was to look at the levels of emotion and intelligence of our agents uh, and to get into detail um, in the sort of a contact stuff. We were moving from a uh, we were moving from a, a, a front office situation to a front and back office situation. So okay. front office dealt with the customer. The back office processed all the orders and stuff like that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, whereas before that job was combined. Mm-hmm. And the the really interesting thing was that once we'd looked at the levels of emotional intelligence, we then gave people a choice. Mm-hmm. We then said, you can either join the front office and talk to customers, or you can join the back office. But if you join the front office, you, you have to pass this test, this EQ test, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, And the really interesting stat was that 50% of the people that wanted to go and work in the front office didn't pass the test. Wow. Now, if you think about that, that meant we had 50% of the people in the front office before that weren't really cut out for that role, yeah? Um, And and that was a real eye-opener in, because that starts to make you go, well, what type of people are we recruiting? What are the measures that we've got in place? And you need to recognize that there are some people that just like processing orders and dealing with- They're
0: the really good
2: at it. They're <laughs> really good at it. And they're a lot yeah. better than some of the people that like talking to the customer. So it sort of becomes, to, so to improve the experience, you, you sort of have to break it down uh, and put people into those, into the right right areas.
0: Yeah, and that that you know, s- you know, almost like an assembly line. You're putting everybody in the right place at the right time yeah. for the right role, and yeah. you're able to become more efficient, more effective, and yeah. hopefully you get better outcomes, right? So with that, you know, people build playbooks, and they have these areas where they want to create consistency and repetition and scalability. But how do you also realize, um, you know, as you really say, is you know everyone is unique and different. How do you make customers feel that they're specific? experience is personal and that they're just not being boxed into this you fit in this and this is the way we're going to treat you any advice or things you've worked with that help make it that way
2: yeah so i think sort of big picture wise there's two answers one is employ the right people and give them the opportunity to personalize their experience okay so i i disagree with scripts I'm I'm happy to you know have guides for people to use but I disagree that you should script people because in scripting people you you constrain their personality and what they can do etc. The the second thing is is the the big picture answer is segmentation basically. You know you've got to understand that there are different customers out there and I think a big area that we are certainly moving into is this whole area of of more of sort of psychographics and understanding people at a much deeper level, you know, much more than they really know themselves. So, you know, um, one of the examples I always use is that Disney know that when people, when they ask people, their customers, what they want to eat at a theme park, Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney also know that people don't eat salads at theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers, yeah? So <laughs> there's a difference between what people say and what people do, okay? And you've got to understand that, that segmentation, that type of level of understanding. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you, you can't just... So, you know, if you ask me what you want, I'll tell you what I want, but that doesn't necessarily mean to say that that will be what drives value. So you've really got to get under the skin of what what customers are doing and saying and look at things at a psychological level. So when we would look at an experience, we would look at it from a rational perspective. What's the customer doing? We would look at it from an emotional perspective. What's the customer feeling? we would then look at it um, from a subconscious level, which is what subconscious messages are we giving out? You know, in contact centre, it could be, you know, have a nice day. And you can just tell by my tone, I really don't mean it. Uh, And I'm really bored talking to you. Uh, And then from the last area is from that sort of psychological area of uh, of understanding why people do things. Uh, And what we learn is people are, irrational and they do irrational things so you gotta from that personalizing bit you gotta you know it's no, it's no good just turning around and saying well on emails let's use their first name you know as personalization but it's not exactly sophisticated but you gotta you gotta understand really what makes people tick and and that's understanding them at a much deeper level
0: well with that in the context of the call center and the contact center when you're talking about Yeah, there's the interaction with the representative or the agent, the customer service rep, but there's also all the touch points to get to that person or to do something in a self-service manner, right? And that is in of itself, you're already either creating a situation in which there's going to be friction with that conversation if you get to a human being on the phone or uh, via chat or any other media. Uh, And I think that's the other thing that, that... people need to look at is when you know your customer and what they're saying versus what they're doing, you also have to make sure you understand all the ways that they're going to want to communicate with you, yeah. how they actually like or don't like how they get to that point. And then I think earlier you mentioned the outside of the scripting, but I think part of it's empowering, right? empowering yeah. that person to be able to make decisions. Because it almost feels for many companies, if you get to somebody, The furthest person away that you need to talk to to get something resolved um, is that journey you have to take, is that I have to fight and prove to get to the person who actually can address my issue. And that seems confrontational, right? Yes. And I think a lot of businesses that empower those front-end people allow you to be able to have better outcomes. Where do you see when you're talking about memory and seeing all these memorable moments, customers have memories, it's really important in those interactions, let's go back to the call center side and that example I gave you of those experiences. Where are those parts of the memories, good, bad, and how do you make those better in those moments?
2: You're now going to start me off on my favorite topic, okay? So I'm going to have to try to condense the answer a bit because this is probably the biggest thing I've learned in the last 10 years, okay? And I really think it's really fundamental to how businesses need to operate going forward. So let me give you a little bit of background. I'm I'm not gonna spend too long, but I'll give you a bit of background and then I'll explain um, sort of the implications of it. Um, So the first thing is that if you think about customer loyalty, loyalty is a function of memory. I can't be loyal to something that I haven't remembered. OK, because if we didn't remember anything, every experience we ever had would be new and we wouldn't know where to go back to and all the rest of it. So loyalty is a function of memory. There's a guy called Professor Daniel Kahneman, who's won the Nobel Prize for behavioral economics. And um, one of the things he talks about is because, you know, a key question becomes, well, how are memories formed? OK, OK. Mm-hmm. And memories are formed, Kahneman talks about the fact that memories are formed by what's called the peak end rule. Okay, so the peak end rule basically says that in an experience, what we remember is we remember the peak emotion that we felt, and we remember the end emotion that we felt. So we remember the peak emotion and we remember the end emotion. So, now let's try to apply some of this to the contact center. So, In the contact centre, where is, in in an experience that you're having in that contact centre, where's the peak emotion that the customer is feeling in that conversation that they are having with you? And not only where is it, what emotion are they feeling? Okay? Mm -hmm. And the same applies at the end. What's the emotion that the customer is feeling and um, what emotion do you, you know, do you want them to feel? And what you should be trying to get them to feel is an emotion that drives value. So value is, in other words, you get something, an improvement and net promoter, increased retention, increased renewals, whatever it may be. Okay. Yeah. So to form that positive memory, you have to think about that peak end rule now that forms the memory is this making
0: sense so far oh absolutely yeah i can think about my last interaction <laughs> i had a yeah. moment that it was memorable emotional and then yeah. the end how it resulted
2: <laughs> yes yeah. I'm, I'm i'm sure um but now think about so let me progress on to the sort of the next level uh, of understanding with this stuff so now let's assume that you uh, you have your organization has sent out a notice to a customer saying that their prices are going to increase Mm -hmm. that um the customer is phoned into the contact center four times and it hasn't got through because the wait time was too long um that um you'd seen that they'd written something on social media OK, mm-hmm. so all of those points are memories that the customer has built up and they're building up, a, in that case, a level of frustration. OK, what ideally what you want to do is now when the when the contact center person's picking up the phone to that customer at the moment, they're totally blind. They haven't got a clue what's happened prior to that. And they're just potentially faced with an irate customer. It's too bad they don't have visibility, though. Yeah, (laughs) tell me about it, yeah. So wouldn't it be great if you could turn around and and flashing on the screen before the, the, the agent took the call that it said this customer is likely to be frustrated and they know that it's frustrated because this has happened, that's happened, that's happened. So you've got some AI at the back end that's collated all these things you know, and, and taken some memories of what have, has happened two years ago, three years ago with that customer. But it's now effectively turning around and saying to the agent, look, this is what this customer is likely to be feeling. And maybe even here's how we, you know, here's an experience that you could give them to, 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 to convert them into the, the experience that the organization wants. Does that make sense?
0: Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and resilience. Noble Biz applauds and salutes the contact center community for not giving up and fighting the good fight, working to set contact centers on the road to success. Our contribution consists in providing one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omnichannel solutions on the market called Noble Biz Omni Plus. Take your contact center to the next level with Noble Biz OmniPlus. Get instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls to SMS and from email to WhatsApp, Twitter or Telegram. Get control over the external factors, with the possibility to switch from an on-premise team to a remote system in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting Seamless Agent Dashboard, and many more high-grade features. All in just one product, Noble Biz Omni Plus, a crisis-proof solution for scaling operations.
2: So, so I know this is a bit, a little bit futuristic, but for me, you have to start off with that basic of going, we form memories with customers all the time, okay? The question is, is are they good or are they bad? The question is: Is you know where's that peak and where's that where's that end? Just think about the other thing. Last thing, and then I'm going to shut up. Um, yeah. The last thing about memories uh, is that you know I'm sure that you have got Christian f- memories of you know your your youth or your you know when you meet up with your friends and you all stop bantering about what you did and everything else. And this one instant has blown into something that's. know everybody laughs and jokes about now okay if you went back to that one instant it probably wasn't as funny as or whatever it's just that it's you know become an in joke okay Mm -hmm. well the point i'm trying to make is this every time you think back to a memory and you open that memory up you're effectively when you save that memory again it's effectively altered okay so it's a bit like um, memories are like sort of have email attachments of emotions with them, but it's effectively altered and saved and, and can change, okay? So this is a phrase that Kahneman uses, which I think is incredibly powerful. We don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah?
2: And, and that is a little nuanced, okay? But I think it's really important to, to actually say, you know what, the memory of an experience is more important than the experience itself. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the, and, and the, the, the danger is, last, last thing, I, I told you I was going to rattle on about this. Uh, we'll the, keep going. <laughs> the, 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 the last thing is just think about customer complaints. OK, how many times does the customer have to repeat the same story of what happened and why it went wrong to different people in the organisation? Every time that they repeat it, they're saving it. You know, I'm, I'm now telling you this is what happened. There. I'm now telling you. And that memory is getting worse. OK, you know, because they're having to keep repeating the the, the same thing and the frustration levels build it, building up. So thinking about what does your customer remember and going forward, the great thing I think that's going to happen and where it's going to have a massive change of in technology um, in the, in the contact center space uh, as just one part of it is mm-hmm. the deployment of AI and uh, that being able to be used to be able to predict what customers are, are, are doing. So, sorry to rattle on, but it's my favorite subject.
0: No, and and it's all great stuff. And I know we were going to talk about AI, and so I'll just bring it up now um, because we're talking about it is we've had a lot of people talk about AI, right? And some people saying how it will replace the human interaction. Some will say that it helps Um, augment some of the areas that are either deficient or some look at it. It's purely an enhancement. You're still going to have, you're not going to make a low performing representative now amazing because of AI it's you're now just going to be able to take a, a great employee and make it even better the experience with ai where do you sit on that obviously right now you just articulated really well some really nice futuristic ways if it were to flow that smoothly and knock on wood we hope it's sooner than later but where do you see ai outside of just in that context impacting the contact center space
2: Uh, okay let me tell you about my milkman um so uh, ten years ago, uh, when we were living back in England, uh, we live in the States now, um, but we used to have our milk delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, and I said to Lorraine, my wife, back then, I said, um, why Why don't we not have our milk delivered and go down the grocery store like everybody else? And Lorraine said, no, um, you know, Kevin comes around on a Friday night and he, uh, he collects the, you know, the cheque. He tells us how much it is I pay. We have a bit of a laugh and a joke. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get rid of Kevin uh, because, you know, I have a bit of a laugh with him. Fine. Milk sales carry on declining. Um, Kevin leaves. New guy starts. New guy takes over. Decides that Calling around on a Friday night's not a good idea, not very efficient. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna leave the receipt underneath the milk bottle, and he's gonna ask us to leave a check for the milk in the, in the, the right place. Um, guess what happened after two months? Uh, after two months, we decided that we're gonna go down the grocery store. So mm-hmm. why am I telling you that story? And I, I will come onto AI. The issue was what drove value was the Friday night conversation, okay? That's what drove value. It wasn't the milk, it wasn't the delivery, it was the Friday night conversation. As organizations get into the implementation of AI, the danger is that what they're going to do is they're going to uh, automate everything Mm -hmm. and automate the things that drive value, the the Kevin on a Friday night, okay? And that will be a huge mistake. So AI, I love technology. Uh, AI, I think, is going to be great. And I think that AI has the ability to, and and here's a key word for going forward, Um, uh, AI has the ability to enable people to be, or organizations and experiences to be proactive and to anticipate customers' needs, because it will t- take all that information of, of all the memories that they've had and what they're going to do and how they're going to react and put them in through psychomet- psychometrics mm-hmm. uh, into which category they're in and how to personalize it and everything else and effectively give the answer, okay? Um, the danger is that AI, but to, to do that, you've got to train the AI, on yeah. customers' behaviours. So you've got to train the AI on behavioural science and that bit about customers are I- irrational. We we had somebody on our podcast, Professor of AI down in Arizona, um, that was uh, talking all about this. The you, You've got to train the AI to understand it, otherwise it's garbage in, garbage out. Mm-hmm. And my fear is, that ai will just get used to automate everything uh, and automate you know the, the the call center and automate everything and the pendulum's going to swing too far one too far to automation and not realize that it's missing missing kevin and collecting that i think there's always going to be a place for somebody in the contact center um, I, I absolutely think that some of the people in, in some of the roles will get, be replaced by AI, mm-hmm. um, and it will be a more high level, uh, function. Uh, but you're always going to need that human capability to deal with different customer situations and different customer segments. Yeah. Of again, as long as it drives value, then that's
0: always the key. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And when we look at AI, we look at memories, we look at the peak in the end, it almost seems like what you're doing is you're anticipating what the peak will be or trying to influence what the peak is, and then obviously being a heavy influencer in the end. How do you get to better outcomes? How do you get to better ends? And you have the example earlier of having to tell the same story to multiple different people, because every channel, every means, every touch point had friction and they're not seamlessly brought back together. So that journey the customer has to them is seamless. It's one thing after another that was really bad, but from the agent, the representative, the customer care person, they may only be seeing one piece of this journey. And for them, it's like, oh great, I'm dealing with an upset customer and that person's having to repeat everything, right? So hopefully the AI can be there to anticipate, or as you said, be proactive, And knowing that person's journey, all the touch points that were there, maybe make recommendations, but also uh, from a loyalty perspective is that human part of it, that that connection there of creating that peak moment. I think you're able, in my opinion, from what you've said, is you can make new peaks. The last peak may have been really bad. I was on the phone for an hour and a half, and I got dropped, I got transferred, and then I got dropped again. And when I called back in, it made me start all over again, right? Yep. Anticipating and knowing that that happens and those things can happen, that maybe with AI and other things, they can say, hey, we saw you just called in. We're going to get you to the front of the line, and uh, we knew it was about a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Your sentiment showed you were upset, so we're going to send you to our top person that works really well with people that… Are upset right well, however that may be right
1: a famous african proverb says that if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together and how true is this for the contact center industry where business partners that you can call friends are so rare at noble biz we made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners As a complete telecom services provider with an experience of over 20 years in the industry, NobleBiz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers, big or small. Because our goal is to become the ultimate provider for the contact center industry, service quality is on top of our priority list. We will guarantee crystal clear voice quality, legal backup, smart routing, 99.9% 99.9% uptime, high-grade security, and an easy setup. At Noble Biz, we are confident to affirm that we have the best cost per minute in the entire contact center industry. Do you have any doubts? Get in touch and find out. Learn more about the Noble Biz Voice Carrier Network on www.noblebiz.com. Uh, so now we
0: we look at this journey that someone has, we go back and say, all right, we just are going through a pandemic right now, right? Yep. Last year was a shift for people doing things that they either never thought they'd do, they weren't ready for it, uh, or they said, let's go ahead and start adopting things. So from customer experience, how do you see that that pandemic has either fundamentally or potentially forever changed how we interact with one another when it comes to Creating those memorable moments, or being able to still maintain memorable moments.
2: Yeah, I I, I think it's fundamentally shifted. So I think it's fundamentally shifted things. Um, the you know the best example I I I was I was um, I wrote a blog about this the other day. In uh, 1945, after the Second World War, uh, Winston Churchill was standing for re-election as as Prime Minister in the UK. Uh, and everybody thought he was going to win, and and he didn't. You know, the, the guy is an absolute national hero, and he wasn't re-elected after the Second World War, which which surprised everybody. Why was that the case? It was the case because everybody that had been through the war had thought to themselves, you know what? I don't want to go back to the world that we had, you know? Um, it was unfair. It was you know blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So we voted for change. I, I think the pandemic is the same. People don't want to go back to how it was. And from a customer experience perspective, yes, there were good things about the way that we interacted with customers, but there were also bad things. Mm-hmm. And now we've shifted in this you know into this sort of digital world, and. I think a lot of that forced change that people have been put through, there's a lot of people going, you know, and the classic one obviously is working from home. You know, hey, this is pretty good. I quite like this. I don't want to go back to how that was. And, you know, and deliveries and, you know, and digital. But there are also elements, going back to what we were talking about before, that they do want. They still want some human contact, literal human contact. Um, uh, as well, so I absolutely think that there. I I could be very provocative and say, any any research you did pre pre pandemic should be thrown away, uh, and you should now be doing new research on what the new world uh, is, is is like, because I think it's going to be that fundamental, and I think what's going to end up is there's we're going to have a hybrid between the between the two Mm -hmm. you know a bit of what was happening before and a bit of what where we are now uh and so undoubtedly it shifted um and what it shifted to is is each organization is gonna need to 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 work out and that's not just from a customer experience perspective but that's even from a employee engagement perspective and uh, um, employee happiness and all the rest of those things.
0: Oh, yeah. Training, onboarding, uh, being yeah. able to deal with the idea that some employees work really well remote, some don't. Some yeah. need have the socialization, they need to have the water cooler talk, they need to be able to interact with other people in a different way than digital. And like you said earlier, when we were talking about how some people do really well in the back end work, some people do really well working on the front end, it's being able to figure out of who you have as an employee and who you will hire is going to fit this new world. And the hybrid seems to be the consistent part. So with that said, going into, um, you know, things that have happened since the start of the pandemic to now, has there been anything that you've launched during that time or things that you've didn't, you know, took part within that you're very proud of or things that you were really excited to be part of?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, there's um, one personal thing and one, um, uh, you yeah, w- from a business side as well. The the, the, the personal thing is I, I've actually spent most of the pandemic back in England because my father's 93. Um, wow. And we went back to look after him basically. Um, and one of the things that I, I did when I was there was they had um, they uh, the National Health Service um, introduced what they called a responder scheme so basically it meant that you, you signed up and then people who were feeling lonely during lockdowns and stuff like mm-hmm. that, they would get people like myself and everything else just to contact them, just to make a bit of contact. Oh, wow. And I think when they launched it, they were after, I don't know, 100,000 people and they got something like, I want to say something like 1.5 million people. Wow. That. So more. yeah, I mean, just. I, I guess just that whole community spirit that you've seen a lot in the pandemic, I think has been, has been amazing and shows the best side of um, human behaviour. Um, from a from a customer perspective, you know, like everybody else, we're doing loads of stuff online now that we weren't doing before, and, and it's interesting again because you just go why don't we think about doing this before? Why don't we, you know, now you're forced into suddenly doing workshops online and everything, you're actually going, bloody hell, these work quite well. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, you can get people from all over the world and people don't have to travel. And And yeah, there are obviously disadvantages as well. But, you know, some of those things you just go, yeah, it's it's fundamentally shifted the way that, that people do things and how quickly people... Uh, uh react and adopt to those new things uh, again i think is, is is quite amazing
0: yeah and i think when we talk about disruption right where it's not just something that gradually changes but it's literally you have to react otherwise yeah. you may not be around to live through it right yes and in that disruption that the pandemic created it really forced people to not only think out of the box but adopt things that. Who knew if they were going to work or not? And yeah. people go, wow, this really works. Or you start seeing things that are just so different. So there's been so many innovations. But with that said, you know, specifically, you do a lot of speaking events. And obviously, in the contact center space, there's a lot of in person events that existed prior. And I know that you had a really fascinating chat with Joe Pine from Strategic Horizons on your podcast about the future of events in the post pandemic space. Where do you see that going, going forward, and how you participate in that?
2: Yeah. So this is Joe's stuff more than mine, but Joe's got this ability of of being able to see things that other people you, you, that are happening around you. That you that you, when he when he said this, I thought, bloody hell, yeah, that's totally right. Uh, and what he said was that um, you know if if there are obviously groups of people pre pre-pan, uh, pre pandemic that you would meet up and they'd gain lots of value just by networking with other people uh, and listening to the speakers and, you know, just mingling around and all the rest of it. Um, but it, there's a um, a conference I uh, attended a little while ago called Nudge Stock. Uh, and Nudge Stock is, is all about sort of behavioral science. And it was normally held in London and they'd probably get five, 600 people attend. They decided, like everybody else, to go online this year. I think they got something like 24,000. a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now you go, and what Joe was effectively saying, which I think is totally right, it's going to be this hybrid of the two. Oh, you're going to have live events? Yeah, you're going to have live events because there are that group of people that want to get together and network and everything else. But you're also, there's such a bloody big market out there for for involving other people from around the world that I think it will also be, you know, um, uh, beamed live and, and you'll get people signing into it. Um, because you know, you can, basically. So I think from from an events perspective, Joe's totally right. It's gonna be a mixture of live events, absolutely, but with that sort of digital part as well. And you know, the world's then your oyster because you can get out to get out to uh, loads more people.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And obviously, you know, in our industry at the beginning, a lot of these online events really weren't that great. Right? Even yep. though they really allowed for the opportunity to have interactions, they just felt like for the cost and for what you got from it, that there just wasn't this sense of the value. And it feels like um, if enough people just don't participate because they don't get the value from it, that people will have to innovate and they'll have to figure out ways to make the online stuff. So I agree with you that it is going to have to be hybrid. For those that need to have the in-person, they'll do it. The ones that can really just, Hey, I'm going to just join this thing for this day where I'm going to get the recording. I'm going to be able to add Mm -hmm. and fill in these gaps that I have, um, versus making it an actual in-person block of time event that I'm going to participate, travel to, that it will do that. And, you know, with that as just, the foundation piece of when we talk about the anticipating what cu- your customers need, what your attendees will need, what people need, and in general around customers needs. I know that you love buying cars and you love the, buy- the car buying experience, right? Like me, uh, I can't stand it. <laughs> it's never been a really positive experience. And I know that uh, last year we had a talk with another magician, pun intended, uh, the contact center and customer experience base with Shep Hyken who uh, basically said, hey, um, you need to be able to anticipate the needs of the customer and how you do so during a global pandemic. And he gave us this antidote, right, of, of the car buying experience that he had. And that uh, the, the one of the providers started before even the pandemic happened of delivering the cars and being able to have the cars to you versus you going to them. And their business just skyrocketed as the pandemic came in because they did it right versus everybody else was doing it different. Um, It doesn't have to be about car buying experiences, but generally speaking, in anticipating some of these things, um, everything from delivering groceries to obviously everyone shifting to online purchasing, uh, how have you seen or how do you recommend companies to be able to start anticipating some of these things around their customers?
2: Yeah, I think that, to be honest, that goes back to the conversation we were having about um, A, you got to do more research because you can't take what was being said. Uh, pre-pandemic. Second thing, you've got to, you've absolutely got to look at the difference between what's what um, you have got to get under the skin of that. So let me give you another example. Uh, We, we do some of this type of research, and we were working with a hospital system, okay. And the feedback from customers, uh, from patients, was that they wanted to spend more time with doctors, okay. Which seems reasonable. Um, When we went in there, we decided to do this, um, what we call an emotional signature, which was sort of trying to get under the skin of it. And what we discovered was, it wasn't that patients wanted to spend more time with doctors; it was they wanted to feel that the doctor had listened to them. Okay. Oh yeah which is very different to spending more time with them. Because if you spend more time with them and this organization was just about to double the amount of time with them, therefore you have got to recruit more doctors, therefore you've got to change the, You know, huge costs. Oh yeah. As opposed to sending them on a listening skills course, you know? Uh, <laughs> and part of the problem in there was that they would just got a new computer system and the doctor was spending lots of time just putting the notes on and not making eye contact with the patient, you know? Um, so I, I, I think it goes back to going, and that's what I mean by getting under the skin and trying to find that real motivator, because again, in that case, and we've got loads of examples of this, uh, the patient, the customer, doesn't know what they really want they, because they're not really analyzing themselves. And you've got to to get into that. So going back to, to Shep and his example, you know, I, I would be going, great you know if that was the delivery experience and that's what worked then great but you need to try to find those things out prior to it to be able to come up with those those nuggets before you make a huge gamble that actually that's what they that what's what they want because if that wasn't what they want you're suddenly spending a lot of money and not getting any return
0: yeah i think it really goes back to what people want versus what they need right yes and many times like you said they're just not in tune enough emotionally or otherwise into those things. And don't get me wrong, some of the best ideas people get from their customers, but that doesn't mean every idea from a customer is worth putting into practice, right? And this scenario, it's a great example of anticipating is that you have to go several layers deep. You know, I always talk about the onion and you know the first surface as you get deeper, then you get the smell, you get the more robust oils, you start to get that emotional response when wow, this is strong, right? Versus You just look at it on the surface. It's nice and glossy you know, and yeah. it doesn't do anything, but you haven't gone deep enough. And you really yeah. have to do that to yeah. get to the things that really are going to make a difference. And it's actually resonates a lot with me because I don't really want to talk to my doctors more if they're not the kind that are personable can listen to what I have to say. Because if anything, I actually want to spend more time not having to talk to them and just get to the point. Yes, and it, it makes perfect sense. So, you know, to wrap up, uh, this great conversation, you know, we'd love to get a little bit about you. What does a typical day look like for you?
2: Ah, uh, typical day. Uh, I, classic stuff to say is there's no typical day. Um, <laughs> but typical day would be waking up, doing some exercise, having breakfast, starting to... to I, I'm, I'm one of these people that thinks best in the morning. So uh, I try to leave the mornings free to think, uh, or to do complicated things. Um, I'm one of these people that where you start off the day and I just go downhill like that. <laughs> um, so don't ask me anything complicated at 10 o'clock at night because I won't be able to deal with it. Um, but then spending a lot of time talking with clients, spending a lot of time talking with the, the team. Um, and you know, the, that phrase, mm-hmm. none of us are as clever as all of us, we use all the time at beyond philosophy, just try to get some team input on on uh, on ideas and you know i have to say a lot of these conversations i've been having with you now have been born out of just having this type of discussion with the team and debating with the team and with clients and uh, and and spinning off e- each other so you know that's what i that's what i really enjoy i enjoy thinking about new things but thinking one of the reasons we called the company beyond philosophy was goes back to my contact center days, which was, yeah, okay, it's great having this philosophy or thought, but I'm running a contact center and I've got to do something. So I've got to go beyond the philosophy and do something. So I'm always interested in this sort of intellectualization of things, but I'm even more interested in going, yeah, but so what? What does that mean we're gonna do tomorrow what does that mean? The contact center agents going to do tomorrow? What's the implications from an operational perspective that we need to to do? Because I think that's that's the key. It's doing things.
0: Yeah, and I think two of those things that you do outside of the great work and all the good conversation to unwind is. I understand that you love football. For those of you who don't know, do. football, soccer, <laughs> oh. and okay. um, and obviously I understand fishing as well
2: absolutely yes so i uh I, I enjoy fishing and I support my local team in England is a team called Luton Town Football Club, okay so they're in the championship so uh yeah they've got they they have this um they don't get a very large crowd in fact you you phone them up and say what times kick off and they say, what time can you
0: get here <laughs> nice. when everyone arrives <laughs> yeah absolutely. Did you play at all, or is it just a love of the sport? I game? played at bad,
2: a bad level uh, until I cropped my knee at 27 or something uh,
0: like that. So, oh, I know uh, that. I played for a while, as uh, for many years young, and uh, hurt my knee as well. And uh, those knee injuries are never fun. So uh, no. it's great that you came on. We really appreciated the time. Um, if our audience wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? How do they contact you?
2: Uh, probably the best bet is just uh, go onto our website, uh, which is uh, beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. Or just look me up on LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. Well, for anyone who's not following Colin, you better go and do it now. Obviously, in the customer experience space, he's the absolute best. And you're going to be able to get all the latest and greatest from So, again, Colin, thanks so much for coming on today to first okay. contact Stories of the Call Center. And uh, we're looking forward to any future conversation we can have with you.
2: Great. Thanks a lot, Christian. See you. If
0: you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minuts, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minuts.